0: Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to Leveling Up. Today I have with me the founder and CEO of Statusphere, Kristen Wiley. Kristen's joining us to share her adventures over the past few years of becoming the founder of a successful company, but also highlighting a lot of the, the management responsibilities and transitions that she's had over the past few years. Today, we're going to talk a lot about managing in a remote environment, kind of making that transition, but also what it's like to go from being a manager of individual contributors to a manager of managers, all while growing a business. Kristen, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: I would love for you to share a little bit more about Satisfere and what your company does and how it came to be.
0: Yeah. So we're Statusphere. We connect brands with people across the country that promote them so essentially we scale word- of-mouth marketing for brands but we do it kind of in a unique way so if you think of we'll work with a product like a product at sephora like a skincare product and they'll come to us and say they want a hundred people posting across the u.s women 25 to 35 and our platform connects them with women that match all of their demographic info we handle all the shipping of the product out to them they post about it it shows up in our, our tech platform for the brand so they can see all of the, the content that's produced. So we essentially scale word of mouth marketing for brands and can get thousands of people talking about, about their brand at the push of a button.
1: If you haven't checked out Satisfere, please feel free to, we'll link to their Instagram and website in the show notes, but that's not what we're talking about today, although we kind of are. Um, So when did you start Satisfere and at what point did you actually bring on a team?
0: Yeah. So my background has always been in marketing. Um, I've always loved, loved, loved marketing. <laughs> um, I actually didn't really see myself being the CEO of a company. It wasn't that I didn't think I could. I just always thought I'd be like in the marketing department of a company, which I guess I am for a bunch of companies now in a weird way. But yeah, after I graduated college, I worked with a few startups in their marketing departments and then ended up landing at an agency, kind of worked my way up there to CMO and helped them build out their different offerings. So I helped them build out their influencer marketing offering, their word of mouth marketing offering. And that's when I started using a lot of the other platforms out there and was disappointed with, the results of them and felt like I could build a better platform. So I saw how much money our clients were spending for subpar products. So I was like we should build something better. So that's where the idea originally came from. I started it as like a side hustle in my apartment <laughs> and I just was like, let's test it. So I threw together a landing page. I am a non-technical founder, so I threw together a, a platform that was a little <laughs> janky to say the least, <laughs> as just a proof of proof of concept, MVP. So through that together, once we had some customers using this very primitive product, I realized, okay, there's something here. I think I think we can scale it. And then that's when and I started actually looking into building the team, which I will say was the hardest part, I think of the, the whole process <laughs> that in <and> fundraising, but <laughs> yeah,
1: fair enough. So you have this idea, you've sort of tested it, you've turned it into a prototype. You're seeing that people actually want it. They're willing to pay for it. Brands are willing to pay for it. And now you have to start building out your team. Like, what did you start to look for as you were building out your team in the early days?
0: Yeah. So it was just myself for about a year as a side project. And I was still working at the agency and trying to grow the revenue enough to bring on someone or raise a little bit of funding to be able to bring on someone. And I just remember everyone kept saying like, you need a team, you need a team, which is so easy to say, but so hard to find. But after I had some money coming in and then we um, did get a little bit of funding first, like seed investor and used that to bring on our first team member, founding team member, Teresa. And she was a great, complement to my skill set. My skill set is in marketing sales. Love that piece. Hers was more operations and finance. So it was a really good partnership and I think that that was something that was really important early on is finding somebody who's like compliments you and doesn't just repeat what what you're good at.
1: So you have this partner then who comes in and, and can complement what your your skill set is. For the most part our listeners are not entrepreneurs. Maybe they will be someday, but they're often leaders in learning and development or managers who are managing their teams. And so One of the things that we all have in common is when you have to manage somebody for the first time. And so how did that play out for you while you're running a business and you're busy for what you're willing to share? How was it to manage even just one team member?
0: Yeah, so luckily I had a little bit of management experience from the agency working with interns, but it's a whole different level when you're bringing on somebody who who needs to not just kind of be your assistant; they need to really come into their own role. So, I mean, it started out. Teresa started part time because we kind of like test the waters, make sure it was a good fit before her jumping on board full time, also for budgetary reasons. But it was hard to let go of things, and I think that a lot of managers in general, probably, or like people growing into a managerial role, have that problem where it's It's like, you feel like if you're not doing it, it's not getting done. And I know for like really important pieces of the business, it was hard for me to let go of them early on because it was just like, you know, I also started this business because I love the marketing. I love talking to all of our members and influencers. I love talking to the brands, but at the end of the day, if I want to grow a business, I shouldn't be doing that every single day. So it's kind of letting go of it from a perspective of like, is it going to get done? But then also like, you have to actually let go of a lot of the tasks that you really like if you want to grow it properly.
1: Uh, it's such a hard topic, right? Delegation, I think it's difficult for every leader, regardless of what stage you are in the organization, whether it's a 5,000 employee company or a smaller startup. Delegating the tasks that you love sometimes is necessary. And other times it's like hanging onto the tasks that you hate is actually necessary. And there's just all those different ways to, to figure out how to manage your workload. But let's stick with the story. With Teresa on board, the two of you grew throughout the team. And at some point, you started managing other individuals who were taking on responsibilities that you had been owning but also probably taking on even more responsibilities than what you were you've done in the past for example you have an engineering team now right so how did that whole process play out in terms of hiring and also in terms of like your own personal transition to being a leader within the organization
0: the biggest thing that i've learned is just like how much time it takes to recruit and train people is just so much so much more than than I think, I don't know, I've ever thought it would be. It's like one of the things I spend the most amount of time on. And I think if you are a manager and a leader at a company, that's actually like your biggest role. And I remember I did have some mentors like tell me that early on, like your job just becomes recruitment at some point <laughs> and they're incredibly right. And, and it's a lot of work. So it's kind of going back to that, like you definitely aren't doing all the things that you started doing when you started the company, which was like every piece of it. But I do think it's important to do all the pieces. I'm a big proponent of making sure all of our team members kind of do a lot of the different pieces, especially for their department. So they know how to do them and kind of move up that way and also so they don't ever feel like anything's beneath them because we definitely have like a vibe within our company that's like, just get the job done. It doesn't, you know, it may not be everything in your job description, especially as a startup. Like we just need to get the job done. So everyone will chime in when they need to, to get it done. But as we were growing the company, it was just the recruitment was challenging. At first you start with your friend's group, but at the same time, that's also like risky (laughs) because, you know, hiring somebody who you're friends with outside of work, I mean, you can definitely damage that relationship if it goes south, but also that seems to be the most I have the most confidence in those people because I know them. So that's definitely where we started. And then we started branching out from there. Um, We are at a team of about 25 now. So and then some interns on top of that, depending on the semester. So it's definitely crazy going from two to 25. It's been a roller coaster.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, gosh, it's huge already, like to be able to grow that quickly. And transition the team? And again, like I I do think that this is so relatable regardless of whether you're a founder or a leader of a department or a growing team, because at the beginning, you're bringing on individuals who you want to be even better in their job than you are. But if it's a new team, if the role hasn't existed before, there's all these hurdles to finding the right person and figuring out like, what do we even need? How did you influence the recruitment process in terms of your own values as a manager? What were you looking for in generally in candidates?
0: Yeah. So we're definitely not like a a micromanaging type of company. It's, it's, you get your work done. We're also not like a every day you have to work nine to five. It's like, you can build your own flexible hours if the job gets done in less time, cool. You're you're good to go. If it gets, takes more time, cool. So it's very much on an output basis is how we tried to, to structure things. And so we recruited around that, like looking for self-starters. You know, I think, I think the typical things around that, I think we had a very young team because we did have a really small budget. We were pretty bootstrapped for a long time. So starting with a really young team was also it takes a lot time, ta- a lot more time to have someone grow in if they're really green. I mean, I think also, I didn't realize how hard that would be as well. I mean, it was amazing to me how many people didn't always want to be a manager too, that was, you know, like, like hiring people and then realizing they weren't a good fit later on, like helped us really understand who to look for later to really make sure up front we talked to them about like, what are you aspiring to do with your career? Because I realized some people we hired early on didn't have the aspirations we assumed they would. Like I assumed everyone wants to move up in, in a company and it turned out we had a few that didn't, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we just learned to now ask those questions up front because as a growing company, we want people who want to move up up in the company. So that was probably one of the biggest like aha moments we learned later on that I wish I would have done earlier is just making sure to have those conversations of where they want to end up. And then actually building the role around that is a whole nother story. So I think you mentioned like making sure that the roles, like creating roles that didn't exist, that was incredibly challenging uh, too, because you only have a budget, let's say for one or two team members, but you have like 10 jobs to do. So they end up doing quite a few each, but then as you grow, you need to make sure everyone's focused on one job. So we've spent a lot of time pretty much every six months mapping out what those roles look like. If we were to, give people more like streamlined specific things to do where like sales used to do some sales some you know account management some customer success now you need a person for each one so it's just like learning where do those people who were doing all three where do we want to put them <laughs> and how do we want it to grow that way
1: that's amazing given how quickly everything has grown and like you said you're you're meeting every 6 months to really remap things things are constantly changing for your team how would you describe your management style today as opposed to maybe what it was even just a year or two ago?
0: Yeah. So I think a few things have affected the big shift. So just in growing from a small company where it was like all of us in one tiny little office, like management style, it was so easy because you were, were both just like sitting at a computer and you could just look over and like, you're doing that wrong, you know, or, Hey, look at what I'm doing so we can learn how to do that. So things that have shifted is, we've gotten bigger. We've had more remote team members start to come on board even before COVID. But then once COVID hit, that was when our, I think, managerial style shifted the most because it's really become like super, everyone's doing their own thing. So it's actually been way better now though, because we were in a weird growing state right before COVID where we had some team members that weren't in the office and some that were, and there was a big, you know, it was very disjointed between the information that that was being spread in the office. And then I felt like our team members outside the office didn't feel like they knew what was going on. And once COVID hit, since we're all remote, it actually really helped, I think, our overall company culture in a weird way, because we now all got to see each other's faces. We all have, we have daily meetings. Like it's actually... Benefited us. And it's something that I'm, we're going to take a lot of those tactics we use from post COVID. My managerial style changes, even if we go back to the office.
1: So, before you were all in the office and then you were all remote, but how did that change the dynamic of your team overall? Are you still a fully Orlando based company, or do you now have more people distributed throughout the country?
0: Yeah, so we have people pretty distributed. We're still fully remote. We're not back at the office yet. We do fulfillment, so there's like a couple team members that go and do fulfillment type stuff in an office together, but but we've been fully remote since <laughs> since last March. So in terms of where we were at the time though, we did have I would say 75% were in Orlando, 80% maybe, and then the other 20% were kind of distributed. But I want to point out we've like almost doubled the size of the company in terms of headcount during COVID. <laughs> so when we did that, we've definitely, and a few of our team members even Orlando moved during that time. So now we're probably like 60, 40%. So 60% in Orlando and 40% distributed
1: the pandemic had in some ways like improved your culture, but having people who know that they'll probably never work in the same office together, how does that change meeting structure or other parts of your day-to-day operations right now? Just the knowing that it's never going to be exactly no, how it was before.
0: Yeah. So right now we're actually in that phase where we have a lot of people asking us when we're going to go back. And I think people want to, the ones, the ones in Orlando, they're like, when do we go back? Cause they miss it. And I mean, We really tried to keep an environment where everyone enjoys going to work. That was always a big thing for me. It's like, if you have to work, you might as well enjoy the people you do it with. So it was sad for us to go remote, but the part that got better in terms of culture was those people that were remote because now they felt like they got to feel some of the culture that the other people got to feel every single day. And we do that through one of the biggest changes we made is we do a daily morning meeting at 10 a.m. every day. Some people like to work before then. We just always like to have everyone on by 10 a.m. We're pretty flexible at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And then we do a really quick, like, it's like, it could be a 30-minute long meeting or it could be a five-minute long meeting. It's just me giving updates for the company and everyone knows what's going on. If they have to miss the meeting, it's not the end of the world, but almost everyone comes every day. And everyone, it's just like a starting point. Everyone knows they're online. They also sometimes will talk about movies or Netflix or like, there'll be like little chat. It's like the water cooler in a way (laughs) in the morning, but it also helps us with like big things going on. Everyone knows it right away because I can let them know. So that's been one of the biggest things we've implemented. That's been the most positive for that company culture piece. I think we'll always keep now.
1: That's great. I find that so many leaders are looking for ways to keep their teams connected and accountable in a remote environment. And I'm glad that your team has been able to find something that works for you. When you think about the journey of becoming a manager and leader of an organization of 25 plus, what has been the hardest part for you personally over that transition?
0: I think the hardest part is that, I mean, well, I think If you're all the way managing the managers and all the way down, you don't want to become too close to everybody because you still have to have that level of professionalism. And I think, like I said, our team loves to be together, but at the same time, there has to be that level of respect, especially if you are a younger team. I know- I've had younger interns, so you have to really make sure that you, they understand that there is a little hierarchy, even though we run a very democratic management style where we want to make sure everyone's voice is heard. So I think that personally has kind of just been a struggle for me to balance between the two, but overall, I think that's probably the biggest thing, but.
1: Partially because you're such a young founder. And so your peers, your direct reports and their direct reports are pretty close to the same age as you in, in a lot of cases, or even older.
0: Yeah, sometimes they'll say things to me that I know they wouldn't say to a normal boss, which I guess could be good or bad. But I'm like, I, you know, don't I don't know. I don't know. Drawing that line has been a little bit challenging overall. But
1: yeah, I can see how that. And this is something that comes up for so many people. How do you go from transitioning? Often, you know, you'll be in an organization where you're working with your coworkers and then suddenly you're promoted and now you're managing your coworkers. And it's a really tough challenge for a lot of leaders who find themselves being in charge of people that they used to be going to happy hour with every week. And that can work for a lot of people. And I'm sure somebody's listening, being like, you can be friends with your direct reports. Like certainly it can work, but I do think that it's finding the balance and it's always, it's easier to loosen up than tighten up, right? There's always that feeling of like, you can be more strict, now and kind of relax it then the opposite. And when you're going from being somebody's peer to their boss, that definitely changes the dynamic. And it comes up a lot in coaching conversations for our members. What advice has been helpful for you over the years? Like, who do you lean to for mentorship and guidance and and what advice has actually been effective?
0: Yeah, I have a few mentors I talk to. I would say definitely you're very helpful. I talk to you sometimes. (laughs) But I also talk with quite a few other like fellow founders that have built large companies and kind of listening to what they've learned along the way. And that's been one of the most beneficial things because I do think that that What you were talking about early on, just like moving up very quickly into a manager position and then to a manager of managers, like it happens so quickly. And then all of a sudden it's like you're a manager of managers of managers. (laughs) like, it's just crazy how many layers get between you and the telephone that kind of gets played. So having those people to talk to who understand that. And then I think also just like understanding just the importance of having somebody who understands HR and all of that. Like I used to think, what does the HR do? And I think a lot of people do this if they're not in the space. They're like, what did they do? And now you're like, oh my gosh, that's one of the hardest roles I think that there is out there. I have so much respect for them. And then lastly, I I do think coaching and like educational materials and all of that is really important because I feel like it's something that people don't prioritize all the time is like improving themselves where you're like, oh, I'll improve how I use Excel or I'll improve this. But honestly, improving how you manage people is the most important thing you can improve because it's just going to make the whole company run smoother no matter what level your managers are at because it it trickles down to if you're managing them a certain way, they're going to manage their team a certain way. And I've noticed that as well.
1: I know you're still a little early in terms of talent development, that developing these individuals to be future leaders within your organization, but what have you started to do to make sure that they are observing your management style and Teresa's management style and, and the other leaders in your organization to ensure kind of that succession planning and growth over the coming years?
0: Yeah. So we kind of structured each of our departments have meetings like weekly or monthly that we try to join either Teresa or I. So pretty much each department is either reporting to me or, or Teresa directly, but it allows either of us to kind of sit in on those meetings and see what's happening and kind of like run them that way. And we've been doing a lot of restructuring of those meetings so that we like, for example, our sales team used to be two people and now it's like seven people. And so it's like, now it was only two people talking for the whole meeting. And it was like, okay, let's have restructure this meeting so everybody feels like, they can speak up if they want to like gives them room for that because i feel like we weren't even giving room to some of the newer people just because like that's how we had done it for so long and then once the team grew you know we needed to restructure that so we're just trying to be kind of hyper aware of the processes that we put in place 6 months ago are like not working when your team doubles in size and making sure that we're still very much a part of those meetings because i know that as we grow we won't be able to be as hands on in those meetings over time just because of the way that the lack of time that there is. <laughs> so we're trying to make sure that we're in them as much as we can now so that we can set that precedent and set the tone and like, so they understand how those should go. Cause I do think that those have a lot and same with the one-on-ones as well. I'm trying to get like one-on-ones, everyone understanding what they should be touching base with their point person. Cause I'm not touching base with everyone. So I want to make sure the person who is touching base <laughs> is equipped to be answering and asking the questions they need to, to make sure our team members are happy.
1: Yeah. And it's such a challenge for every young startup where your company is doing a lot in revenue. So you're doing a lot with a small team. And so there's a lot of big decisions moving all the time. And as you grow, people start to rely on whatever examples are being delivered to them, right? So if their manager does something a certain way, like you said, three months from now, six months from now, they might be a manager and they think that that's how they should be doing it. And This is not just startups. This is every organization. I mean, think back to not to throw any of your former bosses under the bus, but how many of your previous managers do you think would you would say that was a great manager that I'm definitely would want to work for again?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's one of the most beneficial things too is actually to have bad managers at other jobs so that you can learn because I'm I'm very thankful for that. I'm probably more thankful than them than the good managers because you also learn what you shouldn't be be doing. But if that's all you know, if you don't know the good and the bad and you don't get to see both sides of it, you just think that that's what you're used to and that's your version of reality. So that's where I think that coaching and giving resources to your team members and your managers is just so important because they don't know what they don't know and i think that's also one of the hardest things that i've come to grasp because as the higher manager i know everything that's going on it's like the cursor what's that, whatever of ignorance like they just don't know like something else that's going on that's a big big piece of it so so yeah so that's also probably been in terms of struggles. Another piece too is making sure everyone knows the pertinent information so they can make the right decisions.
1: Really understanding how all the pieces play together Mm -hmm. so that they're not operating in darkness, essentially. Exactly.
0: Because they all, we have a brilliant team. And typically if they make a decision that is not correct, that's not on them. That's typically on me for not explaining something, not giving them insights into some other department that is affecting that decision or like not letting them understand the vision overall of the company, which is, I think, too, as we grow, one of my other challenges personally is making sure my vision is coming across to team members at all levels. That helps overall make sure everyone's moving toward the same like goal line. (laughs) If you could look back, say, three years ago and give yourself some advice on
1: how to lead your team, you're really essentially managing a team of other great humans who are all in the same adventure, trying to accomplish big goals and big targets, what advice would you give to yourself?
0: The first would be cut ties with anybody who's not a good fit as soon as possible. I think you've given me that advice and it's one of the best pieces of advice because the longer you draw it out, the more awkward it is and not good. (laughs) So I would say like cut ties with anyone who's not a good fit. And then I think the other piece that we've really learned this year too, is if someone like documenting and giving them feedback so that if they aren't meeting those goals, they know it too. And then it's not a surprise. Those are things that I think early on managers and companies don't always do because you're just trying to move so quickly. And then it's not fair to them. They don't even know what they did wrong. (laughs) But um, if you outline it, it's pretty good. So from like a more tactical perspective, that's something that I would have started doing earlier. The other thing is hiring before you need somebody. It's so hard to do, but if if you don't hire before you need them, because the training just takes so long. (laughs) So if I would have gone back in time, I would have told myself like hire a little bit earlier. (laughs) Like every time I've done that, I've been happy with myself. And every time I didn't, I've been like, why, why did I wait?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, man, that's a big one, right? Being able to see what you're going to need for you as a founder that's really a decision that you kind of have to make with knowing your own finances, knowing what budget you have in in store and where your vision is going. How does that play out for, you know, if other people in your organization want to hire somebody for their team and they see a need, what advice or structure do they have in place to be able to say, hey, Kristen, I need more resources?
0: Yeah, I think that's something we're still working on, but I think that's a a great process that I think all teams should have because the people that are dealing with your customers, the people who are kind of on the front lines of whatever your company is, are the ones that need the resources the most. And I don't feel like they always have a voice to explain that. And it's funny, I won't, if I don't talk to a team for, for, I don't know, a few weeks, like candidly one-on-one, and then I talk to them and I find out there's this huge hole that's missing. And it's like, all they needed is one person working part-time to help them with this. And it would like take a huge thing off their plate that can really move the needle for the whole company. So I would also tell like managers to be really hyper aware of that. Cause like that actually can really help your company and, and make you look really good. If you're coming to them with like a solution and saying, if we just had a person to do X, Y, and Z, we could increase productivity by this much. Like someone coming to me with that information would be so valuable at any moment in time.
1: It's the hardest part of running a team, right? Is hoping that your team members are going to speak up and say, hey, I really I really think we should move in this direction or, hey, I really don't like how we're doing this thing over here. Or as you just mentioned, I really think we need more resources here and it would help us grow our business. A big part of that is just hiring great people. How do you make a safe environment internally for your team members to speak up if they disagree with you or if they feel like you've missed something that they are saying?
0: Yeah, I think that's always something too that's a work in progress. I'd like to think that we're pretty good about that, but at the same time, I think it's always something you have to work at and prove to your team over and over again that you actually do care and that you're not just dismissing their ideas. So we have our like all hands every quarter quarter, we have each department come up with ideas to implement. And we try to keep track of those and try to implement them. And they come up with great ideas. And that's also something that has been really helpful because it allows us to really, like, it makes them once a month review things and come up with, we like, we don't care what it is. It, It could be something fun culturally. It could be like a happy hour. It could be actually something productive to the company. And they'll come up with really great things. Some of our greatest implementations have been from that. So that's one way that we try to, to show like, look like we actually will implement what you're saying because I think that's a frustrating thing at a lot of big companies is like people coming up with ideas and just getting poo-pooed, you know, like okay, well, we're not gonna ever implement that or for years from now. So we're always trying to keep that environment really open to them.
1: Make sure that their ideas actually play out in some way and yeah. they can own them. As we wrap up here over the next couple of minutes, I'm curious both as a as a leader but also just as a professional, how do you stay up to speed on your skills, right? You're pitching, you're fundraising, you're doing all those different things throughout your time as a founder. What resources do you tend to lean on overall?
0: I feel like I follow just a lot of like business type publications. I also follow Marlo. You guys put out a lot of great content. So like resources like that are super helpful. Recently, I'll like look for book recommendations as well. Recently, someone recommended nonviolent communication, the book, which has been interesting. It's just like a way to make sure that you're coming across the way you intend to. And I do think that that's something interesting when we all have such different styles. Like that's something personally for me, if I things just make sense in my head. So I think sometimes I might come across a certain way because I'm fine if someone is blunt to me, but that's not how their personality works. (laughs) So I need to like make sure I adjust what I'm saying for for how they are. So that's something that I'm working on there, but those are some of the resources I look to.
1: Really helpful. I think that resources are one of those things where you find what works for you and then eventually they might not work anymore because you've developed that skill and now you have to find new resources. So I always ask that question because I think everybody's at a different level in their journey and whether that's being a manager today or going to become a manager or like I said, many of our listeners are leaders of entire departments within big companies and remembering what it was like to be back at the beginning, right? Starting your own team, being a manager for the very first time. So much of that is kind of confusing and pressure. (laughs) There's a lot of pressure as you think about like even just your confidence level as it's evolved Can you share a little bit about how maybe you just the feeling of like, I'm managing a team. How has that feeling shifted for you over time?
0: I feel like just in the last year, I feel like I was like, wow, I'm actually have a real business. So so that just clicked probably in the last year, but the team thing is always pretty surreal to think that there's that many people that kind of rely on us for their livelihood, which is a lot of pressure. But overall, like I I love everyone we work with and I just, whenever we're hiring, I want to make sure that the person fits in with everyone else. Like that's our number one thing just to make sure like from a, a standpoint, like we don't want any like Debbie Downers or, you know, we want people that have the right attitude. That's like, we're going to get this done and, and understand the vision. So like, that's really what we're trying to hire more for now. And that seems to have been doing a better, <laughs> better job. And also people that are coachable too. just overall is better than somebody that like, coming in and just thinking they know everything. I think in any department or any any perspective, but overall, it's just been a surreal experience to see the actual company build out and then restructuring it every six months where we're like, wow, this is like a a whole new looking company org chart (laughs) like every six months. (laughs)
1: So imagining somebody who is joining a department and they've been given free reign to build out their entire team and hire, you know, 15 people, which happens so often in big organizations where you're brought in as the director to just build out the team for somebody who has to build out a new team and rapid succession. Do you have any thoughts that you would want to impart for them?
0: Yeah. The best thing I've tried to do is pick kind of the skill sets or the things that I need the most and then find somebody who's better at each one of them than me. So I think just from a standpoint of being able to kind of make a decision quickly if you have to build it quickly that that's a good tactic to take where you can just be like where are the biggest holes the time sucks so like the things that are taking you as a manager and you know we're going to take a lot of time so people to do those but then also those skill sets that are different than yours because I do think on a team as a whole it is almost like a mini startup, you know, you need to make sure that you have all the pieces to complement each other. If you have the same a bunch of the same people, it's just not gonna gonna work out as well at the end of the day. And then also figuring out like the order of operations for hiring, because I do think when you're building out a team, that's something that we've been trying to do consciously is just make sure like, okay, hiring this person, because this person should have a say in who the next person is, because they're going to work most closely with them. And they also might have really good recommendations for who those people are. So making sure that you're putting together an order of operations of who you want to do first second, third, and not just kind of, I feel like the knee-jerk reaction is sometimes to just hire the lower level people first, but it makes sense if you're able to, to hire some of the mid-level people and then get the rest of them.
1: Well, we're out of time here, but Kristen, any last words for our audience from a other managerial standpoint, or just what you would want to say to sum up your manager growth over the past five years?
0: Yeah, I think we covered most things. I think the one other thing I've learned that I didn't mention too, is the riskiness of also the great team members that do everything. And then you don't find out that no one else knows how to do it. That's also just something I've learned the hard way where like some of my absolute best team members, rock stars, love them like best ones. They, they end up doing their jobs so well that they don't like teach other people on their team how to do it. And then when they're out of office <laughs> or something happens, you're kind of a- out of luck. So that's just another thing to look out for, I would say, as a manager, is just looking out actually for your high performers and make sure that the ones that say yes to everything are also teaching some other people because they're just like so high performing that it can actually cause problems if they're if they're out of office.
1: <laughs> okay. That's a really great one to pause on to because process, right? So is it that you want them to also be just developing processes to say, here's how I do it so that if they're, yeah. So how much time do you think should be dedicated to that?
0: So- As a startup, we did not take much time in the beginning to do like any process documentation. We were not great. Our tech team was great. They document literally everything. So they're amazing. But I would say our other departments were not, that was not something we were focusing on. And things processes were changing so quickly. To be honest, it would have been a waste of time early on. But now that we are a growing team, we have set aside, like it was an entire Q1 project, just putting together processes. And I would say one thing that I learned from another One of our team members that came from another company, what they did at her company was every time that you needed something, you'd go to the process documentation area, and if it doesn't exist, it was your job to create it. And that's what we've been trying to do. (laughs) Uh, So it's like one way if, if you're starting from from the bottom, and it allows you to kind of keep that up to date in general. But I do think process documentation is so so important. It just ends up saving so much time in the long run with growing your team and everything. But I think that your high performing team members too, you'll find out that they may not document everything they just kind of do it
1: <laughs> especially if they're great at it is this something that you did also at the beginning of your t- like you just knew how to do things and so did that make it really tough for you to delegate to other people what was oh, your process
0: yeah for sure i think i had like just a tipping point where i realized one of my mentors was like you can't be doing everything like you should only be doing stuff that no one else can do and so i really took a conscious effort, like probably a couple of years ago, once we finally had a team to be like anything that someone else can do, I'm not doing. And once I started doing that, it really did help move the needle because then I could work on strategy. I could work on all these pieces and actually build a scalable company. And same with, I think a department, it's the same thing where it's like, if you are the full manager, like managing people is a full-time job. If you're doing tasks, then you can't manage people. And if you're managing people, you can't do tasks. So Teresa and I have been trying to draw a very clear line between our managers and be like, okay, they a manager, they should not be doing other tasks because project managing is just, you need your full brain capacity and you shouldn't be doing little task oriented work too much.
1: And yet I'm sure you spend your evenings the same way I do, but hey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as the CEO, you do do the job that that no one else can or wants to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, sometimes it happens, but it is a good mission to make sure that all the individual contributor work gets put into individual contributors who are great at it, who are able to focus all their attention on that and getting it done. Kristen, this has been awesome. I have so much fun just talking with you about a topic that I'm so passionate about and I've seen you grow over the past few years, four years to where you are. And I wish your team tons of success. So thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me and excited to read more of your content and listen to your podcast. All of your stuff is great. Thank you. Thanks for listening If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.